Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Hi. Caitlin said hi. Um, welcome to Embrace. My name is Chris. I'm so glad that you're here with us in person or worshiping with us online. Hello, online friends. Um, it, for those of you that are here, I mean, I guess if you're at home and you wanted to stand with us, you could as well, although you're probably not going to. I know I never do when I wash at home. Uh, but if you're here and you want to stand with us and worship with us together in song this morning, uh, we're going to worship the Lord. Uh, we're going to worship the Lord together. I know what I was going to say. song we could ever sing Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever bring We live for you Jesus, the name above every other Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, live for you.
will build my life. So as we continue in this season of Lent, some of you have already um, found that there is a coloring sheet in the back that you can worship by coloring. I've got some folks doing that already, which is awesome. So if you want to join them, you are more than welcome to as we continue to worship together in song. Everything I 
foolishness I know. Your foolishness is wiser than my wisest. Wiser, wiser. It's foolishness I know. Your foolishness is wiser than my wisest. Wiser, wiser. It's foolishness I know. Your foolishness is wiser.
be seated. Let's just take a minute to sit in this atmosphere and reflect on how worthy he is. Lord. Um, I'm going to read from Psalm 126. Psalm 126, starting with verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the water water courses in Negev. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Amen. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tanya, and I am one of the associate pastors here. Glad that you are with us. For those of you who are visiting or new, we're glad that you're here with us. And for those of you who are O-time embracers, we're glad to have you too. Um, So this morning, I want to talk about gratitude and lament. And this is the time where we get together, we kind of get with somebody that's near you. We don't walk all over the sanctuary, but uh, we get kind of close to somebody that's near us and talk about what are we excited about? What are we praising the Lord for? And what are we lamenting? This was a practice that we started um, during the quarantine when there was a lot of stuff going on. There's still a lot of stuff going on, but it was really helpful for us to focus that on the Lord. So at this time, we're going to take a moment. And those of you that are online, my online crew, I'll be with you in a minute. Um, But for those of you that are online, join us as well in sharing what are you grateful for? What are your gratitudes and what are your limits?
Okay, I'll give you just a couple more seconds to share. Okay, welcome back, welcome back. I'm gonna share some of our friends that are online, some of the things that they're sharing about their gratitudes and laments. Um, from Shelly Pugel, Beckett Pugel is grateful for God. We are also both grateful for sunshine today. Uh, Paige Commodore says um, that, she, that it's, she's lamenting depression and mental health issues this week. Um, but glad to see another day above ground. So thank you for sharing, Paige. We're glad that you're above ground as well. Um, we got a lot of people from all over the place that are on here. So um, hello to Amanda and Ryan uh, Callahan, who are uh, in Honduras this morning. And they say, good morning. We are grateful that we have Ian's appointment at the embassy on Tuesday. So that's their little one, for those of you who've been following their story. Um, Kathy Owens-Connor is lamenting Katie being sick and miserable today and the continuing decline of my beloved mother-in-law, Faith. So we lift you up, Kathy. We are with you in prayer. Uh, from Florida, we've got Sandy Rice, who is saying, both grateful and lamenting my daughter's move to New York City this week. Grateful she's living her best life and missing her so much. This growing up stuff is hard. Amen. I, I think a lot of parents out here and guardians can say the same. Um, Sue Crone is praising God for the lives of my aunt and a dear pastor friend that have gone to glory. So, so blessed by God's grace, mercy, and hope for eternal life in Christ, lamenting continued violence and war. We definitely lament with you, Sue. Rachel Epley says, grateful that the days are getting warmer, lamenting illness this morning. We are with you in prayer as well, Rachel. Uh, Tina Slaughter, um, I am lamenting caring for a parent with cancer and dealing with a parent with mental illness. I'm very grateful for the partnership with my brother during this time. Grateful to spend time with my sweet family in Lexington. Grateful for FaceTime that allows me to visit with my daughter who lives far away. Um, we are with you, Tina. Um, related to the Pugels, we know Tina. We love you very much. Glad that you're able to join us this morning. And um, for Sally, who's in Costa Rica, Grateful that I was able to be with my family to celebrate the life of our Aunt Sally. She was an example of faith through her walk with the Lord. And then I'll read one more from Caleb Posey. Hey, Caleb, we miss you. Uh, we're grateful for a day off from work today, which is unusual for us, and good weather for a picnic later, lamenting families separated, lives lost to war. Uh, I think we have so much to be grateful for, but also recognizing those laments. I would love for us to pray together right now. Father, I thank you for the opportunity for us to be together, even online, together in spirit, as one, as a church, to lift one another up. We pray and we lament with those who are brokenhearted, who've been disappointed this week, who are suffering illness, who are caretakers, who are exhausted, for those who are in a lot of fear right now, Lord, for those experienced the hardships of war all over the world, Lord, we lament. And Lord, we lift up gratitude for the light that shines in the middle of all of that. 
that your light is the light that's shining in the middle of all of that. Lord, we pray that we continue to lift one another's burdens as you've called us to do and that we continue to lean into your hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Tanya. This morning, I just want to reference a few announcements for our time together. I'll remind you that if you're new around here, we would love to get to know you. Pastor Tanya and I would both love to meet you after the service. You can also turn in a Connect card. These are on the welcome tables at both doors. If you want to grab one and then fill it out real quick before you leave today, that's an option. And there are boxes both at the back and to the side here where you can put those in. You can also use those boxes if you would like to give while you are here in the building this morning. And you can also give always online at embraceyourcity.com give. You can also use this Connect card to write a prayer request on the back. Or you can email prayer at embraceyourcity.com anytime. And Pastor Tanya is in charge of that email address, and she gets it out to the prayer team. Um, she's very quick about it. So we want to partner with you. We believe that God moves in prayer, and there is a team who is dedicated to lifting up those confidential requests. So please know, if you came here this morning and you're carrying something, even if you don't know anybody in this building, we want to carry it with you. So please know that that is an opportunity. That is an important ministry here at this church. I'll also remind you we send out an announcement email every Sunday morning. If you do not receive that and would like to, just let us know. Um, you can request it with the Connect card or email rachel at embraceyourcity.com, and she will get you on that email list. The other thing I want to mention today is that Easter is right around the corner, just a couple of weeks away now. Often the season of Lent feels like some of the longest, darkest, hardest days, although also mixed with the tension of spring finally showing up. And I think we're all ready for Easter, the celebration of resurrection and life and Jesus. And so that is coming quickly. And we have actually several different events to help us mark Holy Week this year. So on Thursday of Holy Week, it's actually a day known as Monday Thursday. And we're having a special foot washing service that night. So that's a tradition that Christians have um, practiced throughout the ages of the church. And it's a really beautiful opportunity to join in what Jesus did with his disciples before the Last Supper. In John chapter 13 is where that's recorded. And so our artist in residence, Felice Salmon, is going to lead us through the service that night. It will be beautiful and simple and an opportunity just to enter into Holy Week, even with your own body. Um, you do not have to have your feet washed or wash another person's feet. You can come and just experience the evening. Um, if you're not comfortable with that, it is totally fine. No one will force you to touch. Um, but if you do want to participate in that way, there will be clean water and clean towels, and we will keep it as safe and sanitary as we possibly can. So that is Thursday, and it is April 14th at 6 p.m. The very next day is Good Friday, and Laban is actually going to lead us through a beautiful service to kind of mark that day. It is the day of Jesus' crucifixion. We mark that he um, died a horrific death at the hands of the Roman Empire. And we remember um, with sadness and with heaviness that there were dark days while Jesus was in the tomb. And so if you want to come and mark that day with us, that will be at 6 p.m. as well here in the sanctuary, and we will stream that online as well. Um, and so that is the 15th, which is Friday. And then our Easter Sunday schedule, there's three different things happening Easter morning. So y'all, we've been waiting years to be able to really be together and celebrate, and this is it. We're here. It's time. So, yeah, let's cheer for that. <laughs> yes. So Easter morning, starting bright and early, not even bright, it's going to be dark first, at 6.45 a.m., 
which is not my favorite time of day, but I love Jesus and I love Easter. Chris and I will be leading a sunrise service. So if you want to come and make a very costly sacrifice to get up in the dark, come worship with us at the sunrise service. It'll be simple and prayerful and some acoustic worship outside, and we'll greet the morning and celebrate Jesus' resurrection together. We're also going to have a community breakfast. We're so excited for this at 9.30 in our fellowship hall. We've been serving dinner at the gathering for months now very safely. We're good at spreading out. Um, we have some great cooks and volunteers, and this will be a good time just to be together, which I think a lot of us really are missing. So come and join us for breakfast at 9.30, and then we'll have our all-ages Easter worship at 11. So that does mean we're going to have everybody in here together. There's no nursery and no wonder room, but we will have the nursery open if families need to access it just for a little break. Remember, the cafe is also open, and the stream is going on in there but we hope to all just be able to enjoy the liveliness of all ages together on Easter morning. So please, if you didn't grab one of those, make sure you grab one of the handouts with all that on it because we want to participate in Holy Week together. I am not going to dismiss the children this morning. It's the first Sunday of the month, so we do not have the Wonder Room. But there are activity worship and wonder bags at the back of the sanctuary. And there are also smaller versions of the large coloring posters we've been working on back on the table. So I see we've already kind of got a community formed back there, which I love. If anybody else wants to grab some coloring supplies and sheets and bring them back to your pew, you are also welcome to do that. But we're going to continue to worship with another song this morning. Um, and then we'll hear from the word after that.
Amen. Will you bow your heads with me? Gracious Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you this morning. God, I know that it's been a week for me. (laughs) I think it's probably been a week for some other people as well. But I thank you that even though when we worship, we direct ourselves towards you for your glory and your honor, God, you give so much back to us. I thank you for the ways that you are already ministering this morning, that you're already moving and present among us, that you are strengthening weary hearts, that you are touching tired minds, and that you're just enveloping us with your presence and your peace. God, I ask that you would continue just to be present with us this morning that, Holy Spirit, you would soften our hearts and that you would help us to continue to remain open. Lord, would you let our listening be our worship? Would you let our response to you be an appropriate sacrifice? We long to hear a word from you this morning. And so we offer ourselves at your feet like we've sung multiple times, knowing that we look up to a face that is full of grace and love and compassion. Lord, we fix our hearts on you this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, so though we are still continuing in our Year with Jesus sermon series this morning, we are not in the Gospel of Luke. Today is one of the few times this year that the lectionary jumps us into the Gospel of John. And sometimes the lectionary's movements are a little random and wonky, and I don't really know why they go where they do. But today's jump makes sense. This story is not one that Luke chose to tell. Remember, the authors of the Gospels were trying to present their portrait of who Jesus really was, his character. So they made choices. And this is not a story Luke chose to tell. So to engage it, we have to look elsewhere. In the overarching trajectory of Jesus' story, next week is Palm Sunday, which is the week before we see him walk towards the cross and then rise from the empty tomb on Easter morning. And this story, when John tells it, happens on the night before Palm Sunday, which means it is helping us get towards Jerusalem, helping us get towards Jesus's final steps towards the cross. And so this is a a good jump to John today. Our story is the anointing at Bethany, where Mary, the sister of Lazarus, there's a bunch of Marys, so it's that one, the one who goes with Lazarus, anoints the feet of Jesus. And so this story revolves around her actions and also Jesus' commentary about her and what she has done. And it does offer us the progression of Jesus' story. But more than that, I want to offer to us this morning that this story provides a portrait of true discipleship. What are some characteristics, or I'm going to use the word marks this morning. What are some marks of a true disciple? Well, we're going to dive into Mary's story. We're going to look at a lot of the actual scripture passages. And we're going to find three different marks together this morning. So since we haven't been journeying with John, since we don't know exactly where he's at in his story, I want to orient us a little bit. This anointing at Bethany happens in John chapter 12, but just a chapter before in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. This is a huge story, monumental, right? It's very important, and it's very closely connected to the anointing at Bethany. So we're going to look at each of them. And Mary is present both times. 
In John chapter 11, Mary and her sister Martha send word ahead to Jesus that their brother Lazarus has fallen gravely ill. But Jesus waits for two whole days after he gets the message. And by the time he arrives at their house in Bethany, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus is in the tomb for three. Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. Like, science of the time would have said this guy is deader than dead, right? Like, we'd still agree. But he's already been in there for four days when Jesus arrives. So there is mourning in full swing. Martha runs out to meet Jesus. She gives him her lament. Then Martha calls to Mary and says, come see the teacher. And we read this of Mary. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. These are the only words we hear from Mary, and they pack a punch. We are told that they're accompanied by her tears, and that when Jesus sees the tears of Mary and the mourners gathered around her, he himself is moved to tears. In a world where so many are against Jesus, these are his friends. Their grief is his grief. And so with tears wet on his face, Jesus turns and performs the most astounding miracle of his ministry. Let's pick up at the end of that story. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. Two wonderful things happen as a result of this miracle. Mary and Martha receive their brother Lazarus back from death to life again, and many people come to faith in Jesus. But the consequences of this event are not all positive. But some of those who had seen Lazarus raised from the dead went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is the man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. In these words, we discover that Jesus has had to retreat for his own safety and protection. Instead of being able to stay and celebrate this incredible resurrection of Lazarus with his dearest friends, Jesus has to go away to a safer place for a time. And then... When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priest and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so they might arrest him. In these final closing words of chapter 11, we are meant to see that the crisis has reached a boiling point. There is a bounty on Jesus' head, a warrant out for his arrest, and his conflict with the religious leaders has come to its climax. The stakes have been raised. For Jesus to walk towards Jerusalem 
are steps directly in the shadow of the cross. And so it is with appropriate solemnity that we turn to chapter 12 and read Jesus' next move. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. At the risk of his own life, Jesus has come back to Bethany. Bethany is two miles away from Jerusalem, incredibly close to the seat of Jewish religious power and to the very ones who are plotting to take his life. At his own risk, Jesus has come back. And it's no wonder that he's the honored guest, right? This is the house where Jesus has brought life out of death. Mary and Martha and Lazarus have received the most unfathomable gift back from Jesus. And so we can imagine that even though, even though there are reports in the air, even though this trip is probably costly for Jesus, there's also joy. It's that tension we talk about a lot, right? The grief and the joy together. Well, we hear that Mary is serving. Or, sorry, not Mary, Martha is serving. She's playing the hostess. We can imagine her bustling around with joy. We can see Lazarus reclining at the table like it tells us. Imagine the guests in attendance looking from Jesus to Lazarus and back again, watching Lazarus eat actual food. Like, this is an amazing moment. And then we're told what Mary chooses to do. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, if this doesn't sound weird to you, you got to give yourself a moment to kind of get out of the rut where, like, everything sounds the same because you've heard it before. Because this should sound really weird. (laughs) If this sounds like an intimate moment, that's because it was. If it sounds like a strange decision, that's because it was. In this culture, for Mary to be in the presence of a man with her hair unbound would have been considered sensual would have made her seem like a degraded woman. But she does it for Jesus. She makes that choice. We're given sensory information on purpose so that we see Mary knelt down at Jesus' feet. We're meant to imagine the brush of hair against skin on feet. And we're meant to experience the smell of a house permeated with perfume. This is an arresting moment. And it likely would have made all of the onlookers silent, right? Shocked them. Until Judas pipes up. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And it is from his words that we learn the true worth of the perfume. A year's wages? How could somebody give an account for something so costly poured out in one night? Maybe Judas has a point. But then we're given a glance behind the curtain. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And with just that simple commentary, we realize Judas's motives are not pure. And so with his objection hanging in the air, Jesus responds, and it's not Mary who receives his rebuke, it is Judas. 
Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. True to form, Jesus has said something that sounds a little bit perplexing. He's introduced new information to the story. We didn't know anything about a burial before this. He says a weird comment about the poor. So for us to really learn what Jesus has to teach us here, we're going to break down his comment. The very first thing Jesus says is a defense of Mary. Leave her alone, he says to Judas, and presumably any other concerned party in attendance. You see, even though Mary has just initiated an intimate and extravagant act, Jesus comes to her defense. Even though what Mary has done would be considered sensual in their culture, Jesus is able to receive her purity of love without sexualizing her. He is able to honor Mary for her faithfulness above and beyond any expected social codes. Jesus values women, and he's not going to make them jump through the hoops that a lot of the rest of their culture does. It's part one. Part two of Jesus' response. He next announces the purpose behind Mary's extravagant act as one of preparation for his own burial. Mary hasn't spoken. I don't know if you noticed. We didn't hear her voice. We don't know her thoughts. But Jesus has ascribed purpose to her sacrifice. And some scholars will tell us it doesn't really matter if this is what Mary intended because Jesus has given a purpose in his larger plan to what she did. But I want to tell you, I think it does matter. And I think if we read between the lines of the story, we can come away believing that Mary knew exactly what she was doing. She was present on the day Lazarus walked out of the tomb. She saw the wonder lighting up some faces and the wickedness darkening others. She's heard the rumors of the religious leaders scheming, and she knows that there is a warrant out for Jesus' arrest. She knows more than we give her credit for. And in light of what Mary has seen and certainly must know, it's striking to me to think about her portrait of faithfulness, both in chapter 11 and chapter 12. You see, in each of these stories, Mary places herself at Jesus' feet. The very first time she speaks, and these are actually the only words we hear out of Mary, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And to us, maybe that sounds like a complaint or a lack of faith, but in reality, it's a lament. This is a statement of worship. Mary believes in Jesus and his healing power enough to be honest that what happened is not the right thing. Mary places herself at Jesus' feet in a posture of worship this very first time he comes to her house. But you know, she learns something that day. After this encounter, she learns that not only does Jesus have healing power, but Jesus has power of life over death. Jesus is able to save even when a situation seems beyond salvation. And so Mary, in the faithfulness of her worship, when she doesn't know that information, we meet her again in chapter 12 when she does. And it's remarkable to me that her choice is the same. She places herself at Jesus' feet. And this time she doesn't speak, but her incredibly unexpected action does speak. And if the first time she said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, it's as if now she says, because you are here, I know you're going to die. Because Bethany is on the way back to Jerusalem. 
He's walking resolutely towards his own death. And what does Mary do with that knowledge? She enters with Jesus into his own coming end. She sees and acknowledges his suffering, and she chooses a posture of solidarity with him in his suffering, just as he wept with her in hers. This is a powerful portrait of faithfulness we see in Mary. In both instances, we see extravagant, sacrificial worship, and we see her choose a posture of solidarity with the suffering one. These are the first two of the three marks of discipleship Mary shows us this morning. And to not miss the third one, we've got to spend one more moment thinking about feet. So interestingly enough, in John 11, 12, and 13, in each of those chapters, we find someone bent over feet. We already know in chapter 11, it's Mary, bent over Jesus' feet, weeping upon them. In chapter 12, it's Mary, bent over Jesus' feet, anointing them with perfume. And in chapter 13, it is Jesus, bent over the disciples' feet, washing them. But let's not miss this. Before Jesus ever washes feet, Mary has washed his, both with her tears and with a costly perfume. You see, this is Mary showing the heart of a servant before Jesus has even taught the main 12 guys what this posture of service looks like. That's not a mistake. John has chosen to show us Mary as a true disciple before the 12 main guys have even learned the lesson. He also wants to show that she's a true disciple by contrasting her with the false disciple, Judas. It is no accident that from the beginning, John's commentary about Judas reveals his true nature. He is self-serving and wicked and corrupt. And so we realize that Judas is the contrast or the foil for Mary. He is false and she is true. And it's to continue to establish that point that John gives us the last part of Jesus' comment, which is the weirdest, probably, to our ears. He says, you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And it's easy for us to feel a little uncertain when we hear that comment, because isn't the poor like a really big theme for you, Jesus? Like, what's up with that? It almost sounds like he's dismissing caring for the poor. But according to Mexican theologian Alicio Perez Alvarez, Jesus is communicating to Judas that he cannot just co-opt the language of solidarity with the suffering. In fact, New Testament scholar Matt Skinner adds that Jesus' words are a reminder not to mistake discipline for discipleship. In other words, it is not just talking about the poor, nor is it simply caring for the poor that makes one a true disciple. It is choosing any and all acts of service with a sincere love for Jesus at the center of your motivation. And this is what Mary has done for me, Jesus says. Mary has placed me, even my physical body, at the center of her worship. Not long from now, Jesus will be with the poor in the world. Among the poor is where Jesus will be found. Serving the poor will be serving Jesus. He himself says that. But for a few more moments, Jesus in the flesh reclines at a table with his friends, being lavished by the love and worship of a woman who knows who he really is and what he really faces. In just a few days' time, the scent of this perfume will fade, 
into a mixture of sweat and blood and death. But Mary's portrait of true discipleship will live on. Extravagant, sacrificial worship, humble service, and solidarity with those who suffer. These are the three marks of discipleship we see in the story of Mary's anointing at Bethany. These are the lessons the gospel writer John wants us to learn, not from the actions of the 12 main guys, but from the example of one powerfully faithful woman. How can the example of Mary challenge us? How does it affirm us? And how does it invite us deeper into the journey of discipleship? Well, about each of these marks, I think we can offer ourselves a closing reflection question. In response to the first mark, we might ask, how might I worship more extravagantly and sacrificially, even throwing off cultural norms and expectations like Mary did? For you, this might be a question of where you can lean in to sacrifice more deeply, where you can offer up something more costly. You might want to consider how you worship Jesus with your finances, with your time and priorities, or because we're holistic people, you might even want to think about the way that you interact with your body and how you do or do not see it as a vehicle for worship. In response to the second mark, we might ask, what does it look like for me to assume a posture of humility and service in my daily life? Now, it's probably true that we don't need to kneel at someone's feet every day, but to be able to maintain a spirit of humility and service, might you need to consider the way that you talk about and to other people? Might you need to consider the way you view interruptions to your time? And might you even need to consider the value that you assign to certain people and things? And finally, in response to the third mark, we might ask, which suffering person or people is God inviting me to really see, acknowledge, and choose to stand in solidarity with? There is no shortage of suffering in this world. And when we choose to belong to the suffering one, we are called in his name to choose a posture of solidarity with those who suffer. Therefore, who is closest to you? Who really needs you to see and acknowledge and choose them? Worship, service, solidarity. Three simple and costly marks of discipleship. For these last two weeks of Lent, as we prepare ourselves to celebrate Easter, let's not miss the opportunity to think a little bit about Mary, and then in turn to consider ourselves so that we, like Mary, might pour ourselves out in true discipleship to the one who gave it all for us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're going we're gonna to take communion together this morning. If you missed these communion cups when you came in today, there is a basket on the back table and Rick, I think if you'll grab that basket, if you need one of those and just kind of slip your hand up a little bit, Rick will come and, and give one to you. But we're going to take a moment, as we do every week, to do this practice, not because it's some routine that we've grown cold to, but because we want to keep Jesus at the center. 
It's what Mary did, right? She kept Jesus at the center of her service, of her journey of discipleship. And so this morning, this is an actual physical way for us to choose to put Jesus at the center. And there is no greater image for us to look at and be reminded that Jesus poured himself out for us. We're not just doing something like Mary did it. We're doing something like Jesus did it when we choose to pour ourselves out in this journey of discipleship. And I believe that Jesus is present. We believe that when we come and share communion together. We believe that his power meets us here and changes us and fills us up so that we can go into the world and be what he has called us to be. We are not disciples by the strength of our own hands. We are disciples by the power of his very spirit living in us. And this morning as we come and we experience the mystical truth that this meal nourishes us in ways we cannot understand, the Holy Spirit makes this for us the body and blood of Christ and makes us somehow magically, not magically, mystically, that's the word, the body of Christ in the world. That's worth being grateful for. That's worth pouring our lives out for. And so this morning, I want to invite us just to take a moment to be grateful to Jesus. We've worshiped with some beautiful sentiments already this morning. I hope that you will take this next couple moments just to add a few of your own. Let your heart pour out its own words. What is the gratitude that you want to offer Jesus as your sacrifice of worship this morning? Father, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart, and we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have offered you half-hearted worship instead of offering you an extraordinary, costly sacrifice. We have offered self-serving service instead of laying ourselves down for another. And we have looked aside from suffering instead of choosing to be with the way that you are with, God. And so this morning we seek your forgiveness. And we receive your forgiveness as we come and receive the body and blood of Christ this morning. God, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit and that this would be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That we might be nourished and strengthened and made to be the body of Christ in this world. God, make us true disciples, not by our strength, but by yours, and by your power in its limitless, unending supply. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
If we want to take it together, you can go ahead and remove that top layer. This is the body of Christ, broken for you. And this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. Let us continue to worship with one more song. This altar, as always, is open. If you would like to kneel, assume that posture with your body. This would be a great time and space to do it. And if you would like me to pray with you, I'd be happy to. Taylor is at the back if you would like to scoot back there and pray privately. But use this time and worship with all you have.
but I believe we have met with the Lord in this place today and we carry his spirit with us into this world and into this week. I invite you to prepare yourselves to receive the benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>